Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. Good morning. It's good to uh, to be here and to share in this um, in this celebration of new things that God is doing. Um, and today is the fourth Sunday in Advent. Advent is you may remember is the church's um, kind of new year, uh, inviting us to consider um, <clears throat> the, the invitation in the first coming of Jesus uh, that extends into time for the second coming of Jesus and lives in the tension stretched out, cross-shaped between the two comings of Jesus. That's what Advent invites us into, to live a cross-shaped life, stretching back to incarnation, uh, stretching forward to return, and looking beyond time to when time is no more. And we are uh, always present with the Lord who is always present with us. So that's, that, Advent is a, is a, is a, a good reminder 
that, that we are not our own. We are bought with a price, and it was, it was costly. And we have been, over the last several weeks, in this reflection on, on what, what it means to join with God who is making all things new, uh, who is doing a new thing that looks an awful lot like the old things. Because God thinks the original plan was actually pretty good, as it turns out. And his mission, the mission of God, the Missio Dei, uh, is about restoring and reconciling and, and, and almost in a way repairing what was uh, and has gotten broken, and including you all. And so we, we want to enter into this, to this, this um, new thing that is really an embrace of what God has been doing all along, always and everywhere. We set aside then expectations in favor of expectancy. We set aside the limitations of, of, of our imagination for a God who is bigger than we had imagined him to be. And this morning, we set aside our expectations for a God who is smaller than we imagined him to be. Uh, And look at this fourth Sunday of Advent with its invitation to um, uh, remember that the first Advent, the coming of Jesus, was not the first time the word spoke into the darkness. So we begin in John chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to, we're chunking up John chapter 1 and and kind of bouncing around a little bit at it, but I'm going to read it as a whole, and then we'll uh, come back and deal with it kind of at a paragraph at a time. It begins this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Now down to verse 9. The true light, then, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And even though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to those who were his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed into his name, he gave the right, the authority, the authorization to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That word became flesh. 
and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And if I might, made him knowable. Um, this is a text, as you can imagine, that just has us hanging off the edge of the cliff of our ability to speak, right? We're, we're, we're dig your fingernails in because you're going to fall off the, the mountain, you know? This is why the word awesome was invented. Um, and it begins with this simple declaration. In the beginning was the word, and we could spend the rest of our morning, in fact, most of the rest of the next decade, thinking about what that means. As we sit with this awareness that, that John here, at the tail end of the first century, aware that there is already afoot a conspiracy to deny either the deity of Jesus, but more specifically the humanity of Jesus in the battle with what will flourish in the next hundred years or so into full-blown Gnosticism, which still exists with us today. The idea that matter is bad and spirit is good and that the goal is to separate yourself from the material world, the physical world, the embodied world, and instead embrace the pure spirit, the pure spiritual realm, it's very much a part of our culture today which says fundamentally what I do in my body is nobody's business as long as my spirit is right with God. And John is aware of the moral implications of that. He's aware of the theological implications of that. And so he comes out swinging. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. That word, in verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. You can't have the one, he says, without the other. And he invites us into the tension that that creates for us. Because the word, while being in the beginning with the Father, he wants us to understand this celebration of the coming of Jesus, this celebration that we enter into in this Christmas moment, is not the first time the word resonated into the darkness. It's not the very first time that we can talk about, if you will, an incarnation, an embodiment of the word. The word, because you hear the echo of Genesis 1, in the beginning was God. And God said, the word, let there be light. And then he's, notice what he says here. He's really trying to make sure we can't get off the rails here. That light, that word that was light, comes into this darkness and nothing was made that has been made. That light was the life of mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. 
It's as theologically dense as we can possibly get in one or two verses. And he invites us to sit and soak in that deep awareness, word as way of creation. But please notice what he is also saying. Not only did it come into being as a result of that word spoken, it's as if the words spoke it into being and sparked it into existence while the word continues on its merry way. No, John says, while that is true, that word is in fact the embodiment of the thing spoken. That word not simply brought an independent existence, but that word is holding all things together. That word continues to resonate. That word continues to reverberate. That word, even to this very moment, is holding us all together. That word became... John says, flesh, and he separated himself from that which existed as a result of him so that it could know him. Because here's the challenge with word becoming light. We can't tell the difference. The eyes through which God looks are your eyes. The heart that God is your heart. He's not other in in this sense than you. So in order for us to know him, he has to, if you will, become knowable. Is this making any sense? I mean, I feel like we're jumping into 85,000 fathoms here right away, and, 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 but with, I don't know how else to do this, you, you know? Um, because for, 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 for John, you'll notice what he says. It's not that the word light shone in the darkness, past tense. It's that the light shines in the darkness, present tense and ongoing. This is, this is a contemporary current, as we speak, shining of the light. Not simply pushing back the darkness at the edge of the universe, however m- many billions of light years it is out there, but in this very moment, light shines. And as a result of that light, we have life. Even this life that we have here And now, it really, in some ways, is ludicrous for us to ask if we trust God. You are, therefore God is. You are, therefore God can be trusted. You don't exist apart from a trustworthy God. He empowers even the breath that denies him. What? Can, does that make any sense? Not to me either. I don't know how to, how to talk about this. And John, you can, you can feel him just straining at the edges of his vocabulary as he, as, he, as he brings us into the awareness. Now, the darkness doesn't overcome it. That light shining comes into the world. And what is even more mind-blowing to John is that the world which is held together by him, that word resonating and holding the spaces, the molecules, the, the atom, all of the pieces together, when he came into the world, the world didn't recognize him. Didn't, 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 didn't recognize him. 
had, had gotten so used to existing that it couldn't recognize existence apart from the one who enabled it. Anybody have that problem these days? Anybody else get caught up in the normal every day so much so that you forget? You exist in the heart of God. And similarly, that word resonating out from the beginning of time exists in you. That word resonates inside you. This is, this is, this is no matter how damaged, how broken it got in Genesis 3, we have to remember the story doesn't start with brokenness in Genesis 3. The story starts with words spoken in Genesis 1 that says something about you that is critical for this season. So this world, and, and, and again, John is heartbroken because not only did the world that he brought into being, that he created, not recognize him, when he came into his own people, people who ought to have known him, they recognized him. But the text says they did not receive him. Which is, which is the most heartbreaking of those two realities? Because John is going to make the point throughout his gospel. It's not that the religious leaders didn't know he was Messiah. It's that they did and chose to reject him anyway because of the threat to their power base, their political positional power. Does that still happen today, boys and girls? Absolutely. Absolutely. He came to his own, the people who ought to have been, his own people. And and remember, this is written in an ancient Near Eastern culture in which family, people, my tribe, that's the highest of connections that I could possibly, to be rejected by those who were your own. The universe quakes. But, he says, to all of those who did receive him, who chose to believe into him. Now, please notice the language, not believe things about him. Believe into him. To stand in a certain kind of reality in which he has become flesh and dwelt among us. To be the one who is present with us. Not to, again, I, I don't want to uh, 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 overstate this, but I don't want to under mis- uh, understate it either. Because we have spent a lot of time, I think, in evangelical uh, Christian community getting people to believe things about Jesus without necessarily inviting them into the thing, into the one that they believe. It's why Jesus didn't ask people to believe in him. Jesus didn't. What he said was, follow me. Follow me. That's believing into that's why he makes a big deal over and over again. It's, it's, it's not, don't, don't write stuff down that I say if you have no intention of putting it into practice. What are you doing? Uh, just recently, this week, I, I, I heard a, and I'm going to use air quotes, Lord, forgive me if I got this wrong, 
but a Christian commentator suggesting that the way the world has gone, it's time for us to set aside turning the other cheek. And it was like, dude, you know who said that, right? (laughs) Jesus said that. We don't get to set it aside in Jesus' name. We don't get to do that. He's not, we don't have a seat at that table where we determine which words of Jesus are no longer relevant given the nature of the prevailing culture and its hostility to ostensible Christian perspectives. We, sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I have a note here that says, don't talk about that. And I... <laughs> Fortunately, was standing over there, didn't even notice my note. So, <laughs> the reason I want to land on that though is is that it's critical for the next stage, right? That we 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 know about whom we are believing into, but not here, here, and here, and here. That's what believe into means. It's an invitation to a relationship because that's the only way John's going to say this. That's the only way you're ever going to know God. You know what eternal life is, right? It's not to believe stuff about God. It's to know the Father. It's a relational knowing that we are invited into. And so John here, he says, anybody who does that gets to experience the new thing gets to become again what they were at the beginning, the very children of God. He gives them the authority, the authorization. He enables in them his own identity. John will later on talk about this. We don't know, we don't know what, we don't, we don't know. At the end of time, we don't know. But here's one thing we know. When we see him, we shall be like Him. What? King of kings, Lord of lords, word incarnate, when we see him, we shall be in some way, shape, or form like him. He's starting us here as we believe into him now at the root of everything that is happening in your life right now is a grand narrative that is being written that will weave you into the fabric of wonder so that when you see him, you will be like him. You will see him as he is. I cannot, I can say the words, brothers and sisters, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Does anyone? Anybody have an imagination big enough for the fullness of God in us? Anyone have an imagination for what God is doing, this new thing that's really the old thing? Restoring us to what he created us to be in the first place, enabling in us the very life of Christ. This is what this is about. It's not just cute little baby Jesus in the manger. Because here's the thing. When he came unto his own, we didn't receive him. And it's not like we hadn't been warned. 
Behold, we make it even a, a Christmas card. The virgin will conceive and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when the virgin conceives and brings forth the son, we say, I didn't see that coming. I had no idea that it would look like this. Well, what did you expect? And here's the problem. Here's the problem. God does exceedingly and abundantly less than we have imagination for. Why didn't we recognize him as Messiah? Why didn't we recognize him as God with us? Because we already had a vision of what God was going to do when he came. We already had an understanding of what Messiah was going to do when he came. We already had a job description carefully crafted, curated even, to describe what kind of Messiah it is that we needed. And what the parameters of his responsibility are. Because there are parts of Messiahship that are really annoying. And it's really helpful, Jesus, if you just stay in your own lane. You save us from the mess we have created without changing the character that produced the mess. We want rescue, not redemption. And Jesus <laughs> looks at our nice little box of job description and he said, well, isn't that cute? Do you mind if I stand on that? or more, become small enough to be beneath that? Because look at what John says. Look at what he says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I, I, I was playing with this this morning. I wonder if when the shepherds on the hillsides, remember the story? Told the story. If the angels in the sky got top billing compared to the baby in the manger, because I mean, the neon, the fireworks, don't you think? The laser light show. The, the angels suddenly appearing, illuminating like, like the aurora borealis, the, 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 the entirety of the sky moving in and out, synchronized to the angel's song. Don't you think that would have gotten top billing? And a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a used cattle trough? What if God isn't as big as we had imagined we need him to be. What if his solution is to become so tiny that we need to hold him? We don't want a God like that. And, and, and I, I, maybe, I'll, let me just speak for me. I need a God who's big. I don't need a God who's tiny. At least this is the interior dialogue. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
who has come to be, he's moved into the neighborhood. Oh, well, that's inconvenient. I want him to get me out of the neighborhood. I want, he's, he's come and dwelt among us, really. Oh, man, that means he's going to see all of the stuff. I don't want him to see all of the stuff. I want to have notice so I can clean up the stuff. And he moves in. And he moves in like it's his own place. Like he gets to determine what to do about it. What if, what if we beheld his glory is not the glory of majesty, but the glory of misery? I don't know if I want a Messiah like that. Anybody else getting tired of me talking like this? This has really been haunting me this week. Because I think, would I have noticed? If he came unto me, would, would I have noticed? Would I have been those that said, oh, I know what you're doing. I want a God that tiny. I want a God that small, that vulnerable, that insignificant, that unimportant. And I, then I want him to disappear for 30 years and grow in obscurity. I want a God who is obscure and meaningless against the power structures. I want a God who comes to us in the middle of, why, do, why, why did he do that? Because brothers and sisters, that's where we live. We live at the edges. We live on the margins. We live at the places of weakness. We live at the places of brokenness. If he is going to come to us at all and be helpful to us, he has to come to us where we actually are. This is why the good news of the gospel isn't good news. If you've got your act together or think you do. Remember Jesus, I don't come to the well, I come to the sick. And so he comes and moves into the neighborhood and he invites us into the tininess, into the significance. We've seen his glory, not just of majesty, full of grace and truth. This is a relational knowing. Can you imagine how intimidating it would have been to have met Jesus in all of his glory? Peter, James, John, remember they saw that mountain of transfiguration. They had a hard time getting over that. Let's build a tent and just stay here. No, I got to go to the cross and die. No, 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 no. Let's build a tent and just stay here. We love to warm our hands on the glory. More, Lord. And Jesus says, less, tiny, vulnerable, broken. We have received, he says, grace upon grace. And then he lands the plane with this. Nobody has seen God. 
but the one and only son growing as a tiny seed planted in the womb of a 14-year-old girl in the middle of nowhere being birthed through the normal processes of human birth with the pain and blood and anguish that that includes? Nobody's seen God. Nobody has seen God. But that little boy, that man of sorrows, bleeding out on a cross, he has exegeted him perfectly. He does exceedingly and abundantly less than we could have imagined. No wonder we missed him. We were looking for the big show. We were looking for the drive-by lights that we could see without having to be relationally involved. And instead, we have a God having spoken us into being, having held us together in our existence, we exist in him. Stretched out even further to become small enough that love required of us that we pick him up and hold him close and know him who is unknowable in any other way. How great is our God. Yes, 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 yes. And how tiny and insignificant Can you think of a better way to get in behind your defenses? Your explanations? We beheld his glory. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church. Space for your presence to dwell and to move.